Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. I want to share with you a very special message that I recorded last January at our young adult event called Revive. It features Pastor Victor Gluckin, and he handles a text that I don't think I've ever heard anyone else preach on. The one with Uzzah and the ark when David wanted to bring it to Jerusalem, and Uzzah touched it, and he was struck down. I mean, just an obscure scripture that few of us would want to touch with a 10-foot pole, frankly. And Gluckin just dives right in. I mean, this was just an astounding sermon, well worth your time to listen. Really a good example of modern revival preaching and encouragement, a call to repentance, a call to trusting God and the way that he asks us to live over putting our life on a cart and improvising to make our own way. So I don't want to intro much more than that because you really just need to hear it to know what I'm talking about. But before I begin, I did just want to say that if you enjoy this preaching, why not come to Revive 2018 coming up January 5 to 7. I'll have more information about that event which occurs in Connecticut each year, the first weekend of the year, right after this message. Here now is podcast 115, Don't Put It on a Cart with Pastor Victor Gluckin. Where we are in biblical history in 2 Samuel is at the beginning of King David's reign. And King David was the man. Tell your neighbor, King David was the man. King David was the man. And he was the second king of Israel after Saul, who was a schmo. You can tell your neighbor that Saul was a schmo. He was. He was. And one of the final things that happened during Saul's reign was he brought out the Ark of the Covenant, which we heard about this morning, this sacred object which was the representation of Yahweh's presence with Israel. And they brought it out to a battle because they thought it was a rabbit's foot. They thought it was a good luck charm. And so they brought it out thinking that God would win the battle for them because they had his box. But you see, they had turned from Yahweh. And so there was no power because God was not with them. And so the Philistines, the arch enemies of Israel, stole the Ark of the Covenant and brought it into their land. And they figured, hey, we got the box now. But God caused some trouble for those boys who had that Ark of the Covenant because he won't be messed with. He is holy and he will be regarded as holy even by his enemies. And so they got hemorrhoids and their God fell down on his face and all sorts of cool stuff you can read about in the early chapters of 2nd. Samuel. And so these Philistines said, we got to get this out of here, right? Who wants hemorrhoids? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And so they sent, they sent the ark on a cart with oxen and they just said, go. They smacked that oxen in its behind and they sent it back to Israel. They didn't even want to send people with it. And so the ark went back and it landed in a place uh, in the house of Abinadab. And so when David becomes king, he's setting things right in Israel. He's returning the people to worship Yahweh. And the first thing that David does is he captures the city of Jerusalem to be his capital. And the second thing he does is he says, hey, 
we got to go get the ark. Because if we're going to worship God the way he deserves to be worshiped, we need the ark. That's God's presence. That's what's supposed to be in the most holy place in the tabernacle. And something was missing in Israel. So David said, we got to go get the ark. And so on this great day, when they go to get the ark in chapter six of second Samuel, we read what happens. It says that David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. That's cool. That's pretty cool, right? 30,000 men, the chosen men, all get together. This is a big deal what they're about to do. This isn't like, hey, honey, when you're on your way home from the store, please, you know, make sure you get gas and pick up the Ark of the Covenant and drop off the dry cleaning. You get the chosen men, 30,000 people of Israel. We're going we're gonna to do this right. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him to Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which was called by the name, the very name of Yahweh of hosts, who was enthroned over the cherubim. And they placed the ark of God on a new cart that they might bring it from the house of Abinadab, which was up on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were leading the new cart. They decked it out nice. And so they brought it with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which is on the hill, and Ahio was walking ahead of the ark. Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of instruments made of fir wood, with lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. So imagine this, we've got the ark of the covenant on this brand new cart. It's going back home to where God's people dwell, where they can worship him in holiness and in truth in the tabernacle. And David put this all together. And, and, and so they send one of the sons of the man whose house this was dwelling in before them. They've got the cart, they've got the ark, and then all these people behind it and they're having a praise fest. Led by the king, they got lyres and tambourines and all sorts of stuff. Maybe box drums. We got two box drums at this event. That's amazing. And look at all these drums. Because God deserves to be celebrated with loud noise and celebration, doesn't he? And so they get all these people. They're banging tambourines. They're hitting cymbals. They're going in this progression, in this processional of 30,000 people. Because the Ark of the Covenant is coming home. What a day of joy and celebration and gladness and Relief and hope. Verse 6. But when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out towards the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence, and he died there by the ark of God. So it's on this cart, this great day. The cart is rocking a little bit as the oxen are making their way back towards Jerusalem. The ark looks like it might tip and fall on the ground. And so Uzzah reaches up and grabs hold of the ark to stop it from falling to the ground. And he dies on the spot. I am sure the singing went silent. They're like, wait a second. Hold on a second. The man dropped dead because he touched the Ark of the Covenant. Because you don't touch the Ark of the Covenant. You know why? Because that's God's Ark. That's Yahweh's Ark. 
And even if you think you mean well to do it, you don't touch the ark. He died because of his irreverence. You know why? Because Yahweh is holy. He's holy, holy, holy. And Uzzah deserved to die. He was judged right on the spot because God is holy and what belongs to him is holy and you don't touch his ark. Now, whew, we don't like that, do we? We don't like that at all, do we? I mean, what would you do if the ark of the covenant is about to fall on the ground? Let it drop? Of course not. You're going to Try to stop it from falling on the ground. What's worse? The ark shaking and being made stable again or it falling to the ground? And so we look at this and we think, man, I don't like this at all. Don't, don't preach this record. It seems unfair. It seems Here's why it's so bothersome to us, I think. Because it seems so unlike the God we know. Doesn't it? Isn't that where this problem is happening? It's like, wait, that doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like the God we know. Well, if this doesn't seem like the God you know, then you don't know Yahweh. Because you don't touch his ark. And so we look at us and we're like, oh man, he was just trying to help out. Well, let's get a little backstory here. Let's get a little backstory. You know, in, in Exodus 25, you don't need to turn there. It's on the screen here. When they first made this ark, God instructed Moses. He said, they shall construct an ark of Achaia wood, two and a half cubits long, one and a half cubits wide, one and a half cubits high. And you shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out. You shall overlay it. You shall make a gold molding around it. You shall cast four gold rings for it and fasten them on his four feet and two rings shall be on one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of Achaia wood and overlay them with gold. Now listen, you shall put the poles into the rings on the side of this ark to do what? To carry the ark with them. When the ark was first constructed, it had rings on the side so poles could be put in because when you moved this sacred ark, you carried it. You carried it. In Numbers chapter 4, verse 15, it says that when Aaron and his son finished covering the holy objects and all the furnishing, furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is set out, after that the sons of Kohath shall come and carry them so that they will not touch the holy objects and do what? And, do, and die. These are the things in the tent of meeting which the sons of Kohath are to carry. So what God said was, he said, I want you to make this ark of a special wood and put pure gold on the inside and out. And I want you to put rings on it and attach poles to it so that it can be carried. And then he assigned in the book of Numbers a certain designation of the priests, the Kohathites, to carry all the sacred objects of the tabernacle. And before they carried these objects, Moses and Aaron and the priests would go in and cover them with special coverings so that when they carried them, they were covered 
and they didn't even touch them. Now, listen, these are the priests that get to carry the holy objects. I mean, how special are these dudes? And they can't even touch it unless it's covered. And once it's covered, what are the sons of Kohath to do? Carry it. Carry it. Let's look at one other place. Numbers chapter 7. Let's, let's turn there. Let's get some exercise so that pasta meal that we had doesn't set in just at, the, at that point of the sermon where it's like... <sighs> <sighs> Numbers chapter 7. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then your favorite book with the most highlighting in your Bible, Numbers. Numbers. Numbers chapter 7. Listen to this. God is so good, man. Look what he writes. Now on the day that Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle, he anointed it and consecrated it with all the furnishings and the altar and all the utensils, and he anointed them and consecrated them also. So they finish constructing the tabernacle and all the holy objects, then they consecrate them and anoint them. They set them apart and make them holy. Verse 2, Then the leaders of Israel, the heads of their father's household, they made an offering, for they were the leaders of the tribes, and they were the ones who were over the numbered men. And when they had brought their offering before the Lord, here's what they had. Six covered carts, twelve oxen, a cart for every two of the leaders, and an ox for each one. And they presented them before the tabernacle. So, the tabernacle's ready. It's opening day. And so the leaders of the tribe said, we want to give a gift to make this day special. And so they gave six carts and 12 oxen to help out. Verse 4, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Accept these things from them, that they may be used in the service of the tent of meeting. And you shall give them to the Levites, to each man according to his service. So Moses took the carts and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. Two carts and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon according to their service. And four carts and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari according to their service under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. Now listen to this. But he did not give any to the sons of who? He did not give any to the sons of Kohath because theirs was the service of the holy objects which they carried where? On their shoulders. God said in Exodus, I want you to make the ark, put poles on it so you can carry it. And then he said in Numbers, look, these, these objects need to be covered so that when they're carried by the Kohathites, they don't touch them. Then a few chapters later, they're given carts to make their job easier when they're transporting all of these things from stop to stop. And as the carts are being handed out to all the Levites and the priests, they get to the Kohathites and they say, oh, no, 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 no. No carts for these boys. You know why? Because they carry the holy objects and the holy objects don't go on carts. This is written hundreds of years before David becomes king. David had access to these words. In fact, it says in Deuteronomy 17 that the king of Israel was supposed to write his own copy of these words so that he knew them in his heart and had them before them and to read them often. And so let's flash back to 2 Samuel chapter 6 again. 
David wants to bring the ark to Jerusalem. And what does he do? He puts it on a cart. And then Uzzah, as it's shaking, touches it and he dies. He should have known better. Don't feel bad for Uzzah. He should have known better. David should have known better. Yahweh is holy. And you don't put his ark on a cart. We look at this and go, oh man, poor Uzzah. Oh man, he, you know, he, he probably meant well. It didn't matter. Because Yahweh is holy. And if he says he wants his, his ark carried, what do you do? You carry it. Even if somebody gives you a gift of a cart. Drive that baby around. Go barnstorming. <laughs> but don't put the ark on that go-kart, please. Because the ark of the covenant don't go on the cart. And so had David obeyed God to begin with, Uzzah would be alive. And you know what this record tells us? Yet again, that God is holy. And what we see here is actually a window into God's holiness. This is who he is. And though it seemed like a small and insignificant lapse in judgment and failing, it was a sin. And every sin deserves what happened to Uzzah. Yours and mine. One time you lie. Dead. You should be dead. One time you look with lust. You should drop dead. One time you steal. One time you're rude and disrespectful to your parents. Done. Because Yahweh is holy. He's holy. And he should be treated as holy. And we don't like this record. Because it's not the God we like. But that's the only God there is. <laughs> they should have known better. And the reality of this record, I think why it bothers us so much is it speaks to the reality of life with God here for a moment for us. We don't like this because it reflects on the fact that, man, I sure don't want this to happen to me. What if this is my day to touch the ark? What if this, what if this lie is the, the lie that takes me over the edge? What if this time of, of being angry and, and plotting uh, revenge in my heart is the time? We don't like this. We want to get rid of this record right here. Maybe you don't, but I sure do. Okay. The only reason that at my sin and in your sin, we haven't dropped dead yet is because holy, holy, holy Yahweh is also merciful and gracious, long-suffering and kind, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. But this is who he is too. And so, man, if we aren't, God, thank you for your mercy. Whew. 
I think what we see in this here, in this record, is we see that they were trying to improvise of what God wanted. Is it easier to put something heavy on a cart or carry it on your shoulders? It's easier to put it on a cart. I went to Walmart before I came here and I bought three sleeping bags and three pillows and a brush for the car to get the snow off. And I'm a man's man. I know I didn't play football today, but y'all can calm down, all right? I got three kids, I got a wife, all right? I'm a vegetarian, but it's all right. I go into Walmart and I'm like, I'm planning to get two sleeping bags. But I end up leaving with three sleeping bags and three pillows and the brush. And so I'll walk in there like a man. I say, I don't need no cart. I'm definitely inheriting one of those, like, these things, <laughs> right? These baskets. So instead, I look like an idiot holding all stuff like this, one pillow in my legs as I'm walking to the, to the checkout. And all these ladies are like, oh, can I get you a car? I'm good. I'm good. I'm all right. I'm all right. I got it perfectly balanced, just right. Until I got to pay in my wallet's in my back pocket. It's easier to carry things in a cart. That's my point. <laughs> it's easier to put the ark on a cart. It's easier to put it on a new cart. I mean, not an old cart, but they put it on a new cart. So what we see is they're, they're trying to improvise and take a shortcut to what God really said is the way you do things with him. Put it on a cart. What's the big deal? We're bringing it to Jerusalem. I'm King David. I'm the anointed. I got all 30,000 people back here. I got priests with me. We're bringing it home. But you don't put the ark of God on the cart. And I think too many of us in our lives and we're trying to go down the road of our lives are trying to improvise. We want to get to where God wants us to be, but we want to improvise and get there a way that seems right to us, but it's not God's way. You're on the road to a relationship. And God says on the end of that road is, yes, I want to bless a, a marriage. I want to bless a relationship. I want you two to become one flesh. And, and you see that before you, like David saw Jerusalem. And he's standing here. He's like, I'm going to Jerusalem. And you're standing here maybe as a, a single young man, a single young woman. You're saying, I want to be over there. And so you want to walk down that road of relationship. And God says, here's the way to do it, brother. Here's the way to do it, sister. And you say, all right. All right, I'm going God's way. I want to have a godly man. I want to have a godly woman. I want to be a godly, God-glorifying marriage. I want to serve the Lord with my spouse. But yet, on that road, instead of walking the path that God says of holiness, we put our relationships on a cart. We improvise. We say, yes, that's what I want in the future. But in the meantime, I'm just going to try before I buy. I know I want to be down there one day. I see these godly husbands and wives here at this weekend. I want that. But you know what? 
I'm going to date somebody that has no interest in the things of God because I'm going to win them. I'm going to be the exception and I'm going to bring them along as I go. Yes, I'm going to compromise and I'm going to lose purity in mind and body on the way, but that's where I'm headed and that's where I'm going. And you put your relationships on a cart. You improvise. You do it the easier way. We're on the road for our future. We're on the road for being stable in a financial situation and being able to provide and pay the bills and all the rest. And we want to be over there. But, but along the way, rather than doing things God's way, which is different than what everybody else does, we walk on this road and we put our financial future and our uh, professional future on a cart because it's easier. So we cheat. And we lie and we steal and we do things in a deceptive way at our job and with our employers or in college. Because, look, I'm going to be there in the end. What difference does it make which way I go, whether I put it on a cart or not? It matters. It matters. If you want to be over there where God has plans for you in the future... To get there for sure, you got to walk that road his way, the way of holiness, the way of waiting, the way of patience, the way of righteousness, the way of suffering. Don't put your life on a cart because it's easier. You want friendship. You want relationships with people around you, but you compromise your faith. You're willing to do the same things that they do, drink the same things that they do, smoke the same things that they do. It's not a big deal. We're looking for love. We're looking for relationship fulfillment from our friends. And rather than doing it God's way, which is hard sometimes and lonely sometimes, we say, you know what, I'm going to put my friendships on a cart. I'm still going that way. I'm still on the path of friendship, but I'm going to just improvise a little bit rather than doing it God's way. And how about our desire for joy? Our desire for good and pleasure in this life. We don't want to have anxiety. We don't want to uh, be afraid. We want to have joy. And, and it seems like walking this road before us to find joy, it seems like that joy comes a lot quicker and a lot easier for us if we put it on the cart and we find joy in other people and temporal things and momentary high and all the rest. And so rather than walking down the road God's way, we put our desire for joy and gladness and pleasure and fulfillment on a cart because it's easier and it comes quicker and it isn't as difficult. Don't put your relationships on a cart. Do it God's way. Don't put your friendships and your desire for friendships on a cart. Do it God's way. Don't put your desire for joy or your hopes for the future on a cart just because it rolls down a little bit easier right now. Because once that cart starts tipping, if you're there to grab it, that might be it. But if you do it God's way which is already spelled out for us. 
just like it was for David and Uzzah and all the rest. If you do it God's way, you walk down that road and you say, yes, Lord, I'm going to do it the holy way. I'm not going to compromise who I am as a believer. I'm not going to compromise who I am in my relationships just for that guy or that girl. I'm not going to compromise who I am. I'm not going to improvise just to have temporal friends. I'm not going to compromise or improvise just to have a little bit of joy for a night. I'm going to do it your way, God. Guess what? You'll make it to where he wants you alive and holy and righteous and joyful and filled with peace and with grace and with friends and with relationships and with a future. God's way is good. God's way of holiness, though it's harder sometimes, is good. We're not supposed to be like everybody else. So don't put any of that on a cart. Because God is holy. He's holy, holy, holy. And so his plans for your future, his plans for your relationships, his plans for all these things and more. Man, he knows what we need before we ask. He's good. He's good. He's good. Go to First Chronicles. Let's see if they ever figure out what to do. Don't put it on a cart. Just because it's convenient. Just because it's a little easier. First Chronicles 15, and as you're turning there, you could tell your neighbor, don't put it on the cart. Don't put it on the cart. Danny, don't put it on the cart, brother. Don't do it. Don't put it on the cart. Don't put it in one of those little baskets either. We're not going to grocery shop the same, are we, after this, you know? In First Chronicles chapter 15, we finish this story here. They leave the ark. <laughs> And they have to figure out, they have to regroup. And it's a couple months till they figure out what to do. In verse 1 it says, David built a house for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. And then David said, no one is to carry the ark of God but the Levites. Suddenly he had the bright idea, you know. No one is to carry the ark of God but the Levites, for the Lord chose them to carry the ark of God and to minister to him forever. And so David assembled all Israel at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place, which he had prepared for it. Verse 11. Then David called for Zadok and Abiathar the priests, and for the Levites, Uriel, Aziah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, Aminadab, and he said to them, you are the heads of the father's household of the Levites. Consecrate yourself, both you and your relatives, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place they have prepared for it. Because you did not carry it at the first, the Lord our God made an outburst on us, for we did not seek him according to the ordinance. And so the priests and the Levites, they did what? They consecrated themselves. They made themselves holy. 
to bring up the ark of the Lord, God of Israel. The sons of the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles thereon as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. And nobody died that day. Instead, it was a day of great celebration. The one that God originally planned for them to have on that day that they brought the symbolic representation of his holy presence back into Jerusalem. They looked and said, God, how do you want us to do this? They went back to the book and they said, Lord, what's your way? What's the way that we should go? And then he got the right people together and he gathered them. He said, all right, let's do this with some poles and you people need to carry it. And then look what happened. Verse 25. So it was David with the elders of Israel and the captains over thousands who went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with what? With what? With joy. So here they are, take two, they get the Ark, they bring it up from the house, and they do it with joy. And read the next phrase, because God was helping the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. You see what that says in verse 26? It says that God was helping them carry the ark. They go from losing one of their brothers because they put it on a cart to when they said and determined and consecrated themselves to do it God's way though it was going to be a little harder, though it might have been a little awkward to put it up there. They determined to do it God's way, and it said that God was helping them. God was helping them carry the ark back into his presence. I mean, come on. That's just incredible. What it tells us is that when we determine to do it God's way, He helps us. This whole weekend, everything we've been hearing in every message is if you determine in your heart like David did, if you determine in your heart, if you decide that this is the way you're going to do it, that you're going to be holy, that you're going to be holy as God is holy, we heard it in the song tonight. That might have been last year, but this year. That might have been yesterday. But today, I'm going to determine to do it God's way in my life. To do it God's way in my relationships. To do it God's way when it comes to my friendships. To do it God's way when it comes to where I find my joy. To do it God's way when it comes to what's my future going to be like. If we determine to do it God's way, people, God will help us. God will help us. He's not saying be holy for I am holy. And then I'm going to watch and wait for us a part two. What he says is you do it my way. Heaven and earth will be moved to assist you to do what seems like a small task. I'm going to be there to help you. It says that Yahweh helped them carry this ark back because they said, I'm not putting it on a cart this time. I'm going to do it your way, God. If you choose to do things God's way, he's promising us 
that he, the holy, holy, holy God, let's put a fourth holy in there. Holy, 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 holy God. He will help us. If God is for us, what could be against us? If he who spared not his own son for us, but delivered him over for us, how will he not with him freely give us all things? This is the God we're talking about that will help us in this quest to be holy. Because the God of holiness is the God of mercy and grace and our Father, as we've been hearing this whole time, this God of balance, that whatever you need in that, on those scales that he's got, he's ready to give it to you if you determine to do it his way. If you want to go your own way, good luck. I hope that cart don't start tipping. I hope that as you go your way and it looks good to everybody else and yada, but it starts rocking, I hope things turn out for you. But I'm not playing that game. I want to commit to do it God's way because he's saying, I'll help you, Victor. I'll help you. I'll help you. God's way of holiness is right. It's good. And the best part of this whole thing about this journey of holiness is the reward of living this way. The reward of choosing to be holy. The reward of choosing to be holy is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Look at what he says. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Is holiness hard? Yes. Is it hard to do things God's way sometimes? Is it? For a couple people it is. Is it hard sometimes to choose his way? Come on, is it? Yes. But blessed are the pure in heart. For they will see God. He will help us now and show us his face. And in the end, we will be with him forever. In Hebrews chapter 4 or chapter 12 verse 14, the writer of Hebrews says, Strive, fight to have peace with everyone and strive for the holiness. Strive for holiness. Because without that holiness, no one will see the Lord. But if we strive for holiness, we will see the Lord. If we fight, if we determine tonight to do things God's way in all these areas of our life, though it may be hard, though it might not be as easy as putting it on a cart, we will see God. We will know God. The Holy God will dwell with us. The Holy God will help us and the Holy God will Allow us into his presence forever and ever and ever. Amen. Holiness leads to us seeing God. And that's a road I'm willing to walk no matter what obstacles are before me. Know how, know how hard it seems before me. 
If this is the road that God says, you want to see me, you walk that road, then I'm going on that road. Who's with me? I'm walking that road. It doesn't matter if it's going to be hard, God. You're at the end of it. I'm on it. Let's go. It's something I'm unfamiliar with. Lord, if you're at the end of it, I'm there. You're going to walk with me too? I'm there. God, I'm walking, your ro I'm walking your road. I'm doing it your way, the way of holiness. I'm not compromising anymore. We're not compromising anymore. We're not improvising anymore. Let's be the generation that doesn't improvise or compromise or make excuses why a little bit of sin is over. Let's be the holy generation that sees God. And so tonight, as we close our meeting tonight, I, I want each of us in our heart, if, if this is something we want to do and we're willing to do and ready to do, even though it might seem like we're unsure of the next step, I'd like to at least tonight take the first step of saying, yes, God, I'm going to commit to holiness. Yes, God, I'm going to commit to holiness. And so, Father, tonight, as we come to you with many different situations, with many different things that we're tempted to put on a cart, to do things our way, Lord, tonight we are taking all of those things off the cart and we are giving them to you. I pray for every person in this room tonight. I pray for every struggle, every battle that we're facing. Everything that seems so difficult, every area of our life that is not holy and needs to be, Lord, tonight we surrender to you. Forgive me, Father, for the compromises that I have made, for the easy roads I have taken, for the improvising I have done because your way seemed too strange. So, Lord, I commit tonight to walk your holy path. And so, Lord, as, as I commit to walk your holy path, Lord, I'm banking on your commitment to help me. Because I can't be holy without you, Holy One. I don't want to go if you're not going to be there, Father. I pray, Father, that you would confirm this word to us right now. As every heart that's praying in this room tonight, Lord, that you would speak to them even now to say... I will help you. I will help you. Amen. Let's praise the Lord for his goodness tonight. Amen. 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 Is anybody determined to be a holy man or woman of God tonight? Anybody determined? Anybody want to be a generation of holy people? Anybody, anybody want to determine that we are going to love like our God loves? That we are going to serve like Christ serves? That we're going to be holy? We're going to care about people? That we're going to be the people of God for this year and this generation? Anybody with me? Amen. 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 If you'd like to find out more about Victor Gluckin and his church in Rhode Island, you can visit him online at livingfaithri.org. That's livingfaithri for Rhode Island.org. The name of the church is Living Faith Christian Church, where he pastors in Warwick, Rhode Island. Also, we have another revive coming up this year. This is an event for young adults, single and married folks. 
that are 20 years old and over. There's no childcare, but it is a great time at Woodstock, Connecticut, and that's January 5 to 7, 2018. It's a fantastic time together with other college students and young professionals for mutual encouragement. For more information and to sign up, take a look at the show notes for this episode, for episode 115, uh, restitutio.org, or in your device, go to the show notes, and we'll have a link there for you to register. Registration is now live for this event. It's only, it's less than $150 for the entire weekend. It covers all your meals, covers your lodging, and anything else you would need. So why not sign up today and come to Revive 2018? We'd love to see you there. And you can meet Victor Gluckin if you come. That's it for today. Thanks for tuning in. If you would like to leave a comment, whether in support or disagreement with what you just heard, please come on to restitutio.org and find podcast 115. We'll see you next week. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.